Well, thank you to the worship team. Some of these folks have been here since 4 o'clock this morning. Would you express your appreciation to them? And let me welcome you to this beautiful, beautiful day. Thanks be to God for this brilliant, brilliant, lovely day that we have here. And we're so delighted that all of you have joined us and a part of this day. What a joy it is for us to be gathered out here in front of these great, two great scenes that remind us of Easter. These beautiful crosses and this empty tomb behind me. I encourage you to come and visit the empty tomb after we're done, but go all the way around the tree. Don't try and walk through all of these cables. My goal is to keep you safe and get you home safely. Are we okay? All right. Thanks be to God. I invite you to take your worship folder and turn to page nine. There are three passages of scripture. And as we make our way through the sermon this morning, I want to invite you to read those passages with me as we come to them. This morning, we'll be looking at three passages, one from Isaiah chapter 53, one from Luke 22, and one from Luke 24. These are the great passages of scripture that tell us the gospel story of Jesus Christ and the hope that Christ has brought to us. Isaiah 53 was written 700 years before Jesus entered Jerusalem. Can you imagine 700 years? Some of you are on your way to 700. <laughs> some of you are closer to 700 than some of the rest of us. But 700 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah, inspired by the Spirit of God, writes for us, in a nutshell, the gospel of Jesus Christ. To tell us ahead of the arrival of Christ, God's great purpose, God's great hope. And so let's read it together. Isaiah 53, verses one through six. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The word of the Lord. These words of Isaiah speak to us of a suffering servant. They speak to us in verses 1 through 3 that there was nothing attractive about Jesus, nothing of significance about him that would suggest in his life that he would make a significant difference across the ages of time. Nothing attractive to him at all. But Isaiah in verses four through six gives us a glimpse into the plan of Satan to lead Jesus to an untimely death. But he goes on to describe the victory of healing made possible by the suffering of the suffering servant. Isaiah's prophecy points us 
his readers into the future to reveal that God's capacity to orchestrate events attended for evil is to turn them into blessing. Think about that. God's capacity, the hope of God, is found in God's capacity to turn events that were considered evil into opportunities of blessing. That is possible in part because of Jesus' efforts in prayer to remain aligned with God and with God's purposes as described by Luke in chapter 22, verses 39 to 44. Let's read that in unison together in your worship folder. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Have you ever prayed in anguish as Jesus prayed? So intently, so deeply, that you spent time in prayer and time was lost. You lost track of time. And here is Jesus in the garden on the Mount of Olives, aware that there are people gathering around the edges of the garden waiting to arrest him, waiting to take him to trial, waiting to take him to the cross. And in the midst of the gathering of those external forces of evil, Jesus is in prayer beseeching his father about his father's will. We should not dismiss Jesus' humanity and the internal conflict that he's experiencing. We should not dismiss lightly and just say, well, it was Jesus. But Jesus wrestled with this idea that his father had a plan for him that, that he wished that it could pass from him. But he surrenders to the will of the father and says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And here it is, from the adulation of Palm Sunday to the conflict with the religious leaders, to the betrayal of Judas, we find Jesus alone and isolated in the garden by himself, and he is praying. I call this a prayer of alignment. Jesus' desire is to make sure that he is aligned with the will and purpose of his Father. We prayed a prayer of alignment this morning when we prayed the Lord's Prayer. It's very much a prayer of alignment. It seeks to help us ensure that we are continually aligned with God's desire. Especially when we make that prayerful statement, on earth as it is where? In heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. That's an alignment prayer. That is to say, God, we desire what is in heaven to be the same here on earth. In the midst of all of the conflict, in the midst of Jesus recognizing his own internal conflict and recognizing the conflict of evil raging around him, Jesus seeks to align himself with the will of the Father. For there is this battle of evil that 
carries on throughout humanity, and we see it very much alive in our world today. In fact, it becomes a very significant topic for us, doesn't it? We read the news, hear the news, we hear about Ukraine and all the suffering that's taking place there. But if we pay attention, we find suffering right here in our neighborhood, right here in our community, right around us where we work, there is suffering taking place. And so when we seek to align ourselves with the will of the Father, we recognize that evil can be orchestrated by God into blessing. And so it is on that Easter Sunday morning, in the few days in which the authorities and the Satan had thought they had finished it. Jesus had died on a cross. He was sealed in a tomb. And they thought to themselves, gave themselves self-congratulation, said, we've done it. We have silenced the voice. We have locked him away in the tomb. We have posted the guards. There is no way this goes on. It is done. And yet, Sunday came. Let's read that passage. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 8. And let's read it with some intensity. Let's read it with some conviction. Let's read it with some joy as we read this. Luke 24, verses 1 through 8. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. The word of the Lord. I have been trying to imagine what those women experienced when they walked into that tomb and found it empty. I have no words. I would imagine... They had questions in their minds. What happened? Where is he? Where did he go? Did someone steal the body? What took place here? Until the heavenly messenger showed up next to them and said, why do you look for the living among the dead? There is hope for us in that empty tomb. There is hope for the world in that empty tomb. But it may help our imagination if we were to step in front of or into the tomb behind me carry this scripture with us and stand there and read it and imagine it as if you were there on that Easter Sunday over 2,000 years ago. I hope you'll pause and take a few moments to do that before you leave today because it will linger with you. It will stay with you. It will arrest your mind and draw you into the story of God in a new way. The experience of the empty tomb shapes our faith and commitment to Jesus. For the empty tomb is the evidence that there is victory over sin made possible by the blood of, and death and resurrection of Jesus. Thanks be to God. 
in our faith tradition or in my faith tradition, we often talk about personal salvation, the invitation to confess our sin and invite Jesus to come and be a part of our lives and our commitment to follow Jesus from that moment on. But like the empty tomb, personal salvation is only the beginning. It's a start. It's not the end. And so it is with our confession of sin is the beginning of aligning ourselves with God's purposes. It is the beginning of understanding on earth as it is in heaven. It is the beginning of our personal awareness of the power of evil in the world and its continued attempts to separate us from the purposes of God. Think of all of the activity in our lives. Think of all that has taken place. Think all of the things that we give our life to and how easily it is that those things could begin to separate us. Many of them are honorable things. And yet, to pause, to take time regularly, as Jesus did, who withdrew regularly, to make sure in the place of prayer that he was aligned with the purposes of God. Our salvation is the beginning of an imagination to bring heaven to earth. In doing so, the hope of the empty tomb extends far beyond our personal imagination. My imagination of what happens beginning with the empty tomb has been helped by a quote from Tattoos of the Heart, The Power of Boundless Compassion by Gregory Boyle. Listen to these words that he has penned. No daylight to separate us, only kinship inching ourselves closer to creating a community of kinship such that God might recognize it. Soon we imagine with God this circle of compassion. Then we imagine no one standing outside of that circle, moving ourselves closer to the margins so that the margins themselves will be erased. We stand there with those whose dignity has been denied. We locate ourselves with the poor and the powerless and the voiceless, at the edges, we join the easily despised and the readily left out. We stand with the demonized so that the demonizing will stop. We situate ourselves right next to the disposable so that the day will come when we stop throwing people away. Boyle's quote stirs my imagination that what he describes is exactly what Jesus did for you and me with the empty tomb. God, our creator through Jesus Christ has demonstrated boundless compassion to each of us. He saw us standing outside the circle. He moved to the margins where we were. He moved so close to us that the margins were erased. Don't lean into the temptation to say, I was never on the margins. Among us here today are people who've been hurt, who've been wounded, have been abused, have been treated unfairly. For some of you, life has been unfair. And yet, God comes. God moves in with us into our space so that we are no longer on the margins, so that we are no longer isolated so that we are no longer alone. And so it is 
friends, that the empty tomb is about more than just our personal salvation. Are we okay there? Got real quiet in this room. Do not believe for a moment I'm diminishing the value of personal salvation. But let me say to you that personal salvation is just the beginning. It's just the beginning of God, what, call, what God calls us to align himself, ourselves with him. It is about the invitation to live out the resurrection in a way so that there's no daylight between us and Jesus. When I say there's no daylight, think about a silhouette. A silhouette that you could not tell the difference between Jesus and you. And others would say, where you are, there Jesus is too. So that no one is thrown away, so that all are beckoned to be with us in the same way that Jesus has beckoned us to be with him. To do any less is to be dismissive of the full hope of the empty tomb. If we live in such a manner that others are marginalized and thrown away, I'm gonna get out on thin ice here for a moment, but you'll be okay. If we live in such a manner that others are marginalized and thrown away, I wanna to suggest to you that our personal salvation is in question because we have not lived out the promise and the hope of the empty tomb. You okay there? Our salvation is a question for it's no longer personal salvation as God intended it to be. For the hope of the tomb is the hope of all humanity. And I invite us to embrace the true hope of Easter, to expand our circles, to move toward those people who are on the margins and continue to expand this circle. When we live our lives the way Jesus lives, when we align ourselves with Jesus and the hope of Easter will shine brightest when we live into the hope of Easter in the way God intended it to be. Next Sunday at the 9.30 service, we're going to introduce you to a ministry where you can do the very thing that we're talking about here. Where you can live into a place where people are marginalized, where they have been discarded, where they have been thought of as less than. And you can help expand the circle. And so it is that the hope of Easter will shine brightest when we live into the hope of Easter in the way that God and Jesus have lived into our lives. There's the hope of Easter. The hope of Easter moved out of the tomb and moved into the community. The hope of Easter moved out of the tomb and around the world. And that's our call when we align ourselves with Jesus. And because of that great hope, of the empty tomb, there are new names written down in glory. And it's mine, and it's yours, and it's someone else's waiting for the hope of Jesus. Let's stand together. We're gonna sing.